Amen. Joshua chapter 3 and verse 7. Just that one verse there, Joshua chapter 3. I'll give you a minute just to get there. Joshua chapter 3 and verse 7. And once you're there, if you would stand, please, just for the reading of this one verse, we just stand to honor uh, the reading of God's Word. Joshua chapter 3, just this one verse, Joshua 3 and verse 7. Amen. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. Father, this morning we pray just again for your help and for, Lord, the Spirit of God to come upon the preaching of your word. Oh God, we pray, Lord, across this land where, Lord, your word is opened and the truth is proclaimed. We ask for your anointing to be upon it. Lord, how, oh God, how much we are in great need to hear from heaven, to hear from your throne. And Lord, we just pray, Lord, that you would shut us in with yourself. Lord, we pray for the Holy Ghost to give us ears to hear, hearts that are opened. Oh God, we pray that you would give help in the preaching of your word this morning. Lord, for those that aren't here and are listening, Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would be their portion, that you would be their strength. Lord, that you would touch them in body, oh God. But Lord, we're just asking that your name would be wonderfully glorified in our midst. Lord, we give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Let's take our seats together. Amen. We're just continuing on in this series, Preparing for War. As I was, so I will be, is the title of this message this morning, taken from uh, this verse here in Joshua uh, chapter 3 and verse 7, I would like to read it again to you. The Lord said unto Joshua this day, will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. It is God's desire to show everything of what he was, to be that also in the days with his people in which we're living in. We know that wonderful verse in Scripture that says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I want to just remind you as we're coming through these messages, and I will point to this regularly because I believe it's important for the church to realize the days in which we're living, and the generation in which we've come to, and the calling of God upon the church in such a time even as this, that there are some things that are changing rapidly all around us. And I know I've preached regularly on this and mentioned it on a regular basis, but I believe it's important to bring it to your attention that we are living in a world that's changing rapidly. We are living, and particularly in the post, uh, in the, sorry, in the Western nations of which we are a part, for example, Northern Ireland and Western Europe, England, Scotland, Wales, United States, and so forth. But we are now living in a post-Christian nation. What does that mean? That there was once a time that it was known as a Christian nation. It was built upon the principles of God's Word. It was a God-fearing nation. Many of the Western nations had those uh, principles and those morals. It wasn't that everyone was saved. It wasn't that there was no sin. Those things are rampant always and have been. But there was a nation that had a reference, a reverence for the Lord and for the things of God. And it was that righteousness that exalted the nation. But we are now living, brothers and sisters, and I, I believe we need to be very real and very honest with this, that we are now living in a post-Christian nation. That means that the scenario or the circumstances has completely changed as maybe what it was even a generation ago. It's changed very quickly. I believe that some of the difficulties that many within the church are finding it difficult to grasp, the, the change that has come, but it has changed. You know, I heard a little snippet just a few days ago. It was sent to me. It was Paul Washer. Some of you may know him. Just given like an end of year uh, Thanksgiving and so forth. And he has a great heart for the mission field. 
and particularly in that 1040 window where there are millions, millions upon millions of people across north of Africa and the, the Middle East, right across Asia and the China. There are literally millions of people today that have never had the privilege of hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ even once. And that is his passion, like many of the mission organizations that we know of, as they desire to share the gospel. But he said one thing in that simple uh, just greeting in the midst of it. He says, but now we are living amongst in the Western nations a whole generation that is coming up behind us that they have never heard the gospel once themselves. And that seems a very difficult thing to grasp. I know that we are greatly blessed. In this land, there are still many missions and outreaches and children's missions. Long may they continue and expand and grow. But there is now generations that are coming up in this nation, in the United Kingdom, in Ireland, across the Western nations, particularly Western Europe, that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not just the 1040 window. I believe that we continue to sow and believe and pray that the gospel will be preached and mission organizations will impact into that region. But now on our own doorstep, on our own very doorstep, in Ballinahinch, and in, in the circumstances around us, there is now a generation that are growing up among us that have never had the privilege that you and I have had of going to children's meetings, of hearing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of being sent out to Sunday school, of sitting amongst the people of God, of hearing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ preached on a regular basis. There's now a whole generation that's rising up all around us that have never heard the gospel gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. More on top of that, of course, is there's a hardness that has come into this nation. There's a hardness against the gospel. What we're actually witnessing is a generation that are rising up. Not only have they not heard, but there is a hatred for the things of God. There is a hatred against God. It's manifested right across the world in which we're living in the media and so forth. You know, you sense it, you hear it, and you witness it all around us. There's a deep-rooted hatred against the things of God. People hate God today. Man, in all his arrogance, I've just been following this just for the simple reason that it shows the arrogance of man. As I mentioned it a few weeks ago, as they get their telescope that they've been building for 30 years and spent 10 billion pounds on, and they sent it up, and they're all getting very excited that this telescope is going to... You remember the Tower of Babel? You remember how they wanted to reach the heavens? We're living in a day that the arrogance and the evil heart of man, that they're going to go to the edge of our galaxy. They're going to unfold a huge mirror. It's about six meters wide. They have a big canopy that keeps it from roasting up in the heat and keeping it at the right temperature. And they're going to try and look right into the very furthest distance of all the galaxies to see the day that the first star was born after the Big Bang. I mean, in my heart, I know I'm not God, but maybe this is wrong, but I just prayed, oh God, would you just send a meteorite right through that thing and just blow it up? I know I'm not God, but that's what I just said. Lord, just maybe he will, praise the Lord. He did it with the Tower of Babel. But I just said, just send one of those meteorites right the whole way through the space of, and just blow the whole thing up. And you can see them all running around NASA or wherever they're running around saying, it's blown up 10 million, 10 billion pounds, 30 years of work reduced to nothing. But greater than that, friends, than a meteorite bursting through and destroying that telescope, the Son of God's going to burst through all of the galaxies of heaven and the glory of God and the stars will fall and Christ is coming. That's for sure that's going to happen because the Bible tells us that's what's going to happen. What we still are going to face, friends, in the backdrop of a pandemic and, and fear and confusion, and I believe I've Preach this, you know that I believe it's the judgment of God on the nations. I believe the pestilence is the judgment of God. It's God's judgment on the nation. But what we are going to face when we come through these current times, and I believe we'll come through it soon, I, I do believe that, but what the church is going to face is a, is a generation that hates God. You're going to face a generation. You must know what we're 
up against, you're going to face a generation that hates God. They hate God with a passion. And one of the main things, and I believe this is still the case, it's sort of simmered under the, the, the radar, if you like, for a short space of time in the light of all the headlines that we are receiving. But one of the main things that we're going to face, what we're going to be up against is the rapid rise of homosexuality and transgenderism is going to be the thing that we are going to have to face that is going to infiltrate into every aspect of society through the government, through the education, through the media, through every source that's going to come for the church of Jesus Christ that they want you to conform in your thinking, not just in your practice or in the law, but in your thought. They want to change how you think. You cannot believe what you believe. That's where they're going. That's a battle of the mind and we will face this in the coming days to a greater extent. And so we see in the midst of that, parallel to that or in tandem to that, we also see an apostasy that has taken place in the church of Jesus Christ. We see a complete apostasy in the church of Jesus Christ. We see the winds of doctrine, damnable heresies that have swept into the kingdom, into the church, and they are infiltrated by false teachers and false prophets of which we have been warned that will happen in the last days. We have been told, we have been warned. Jesus himself has instructed us not to be deceived. And so we are going to see that in tandem. It is happening, the great falling away. Again, we've looked at it before. What is happening really in reality to all of this is that the whole stage is being assembled for the Antichrist. It is being built. It has been built. It's like the stage is already set. It's like when they go to have one of these huge concerts and all the preparation is done and all the things are built and everything is put in place. It is like now that the stage is actually set for the Antichrist. But we're in a good fight. And thank God for the victory that we have in Jesus. And we must know then how all of this is going to work. What has happened more and more, and what is more revealing, particularly in the last couple of years, is that many people that sit in church buildings, many people that sit in God's house, many, 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 many people, I want to stress this, when they read the Bible, they read in their concept and in their understanding that He's a God of history, but He's not a God of the present. They believe that the Bible is true, but they believe that the, the God of the Bible, it's only relevant to 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago, but it has no relevance to my life and to our world today. I heard it and I believe I said it, because I heard a preacher preach this a few weeks ago, and he said a statement that really hasn't been able to leave me, but I believe it to be true. He said that the church of Jesus Christ has been living like atheists for too long. And it struck me, what a statement for someone to make, that the church has been living like atheists, the atheists that don't believe in God. Now we can serve God with our mouth, but our hearts are so far from Him. That is what God's real issue was with Israel in the Old Testament. If you turn over to Hebrews chapter 3, I want you to follow this. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 10, it says these words, Hebrews 3 and 10, Wherefore I was grieved with that generation. He's talking about the generation in the wilderness. And he said, and said, they do always err in their heart. God said, because they have not known my ways. They don't know the ways of the Lord. They were erring in their hearts, in their mouths, in their actions on the outward. They might have went through much of the familiarity of what we see today of religious acts. But in their heart where God looks, God does not look on the outward. God looks on the heart of man. In their hearts they were always erring. And they did not know the ways of the Lord. So it says in verse 11, So I swear in my wrath that they shall not enter into my rest. And then the warning comes to us, Take heed, verse 12, brethren, 
lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. These are sobering words, but this was the real issue that God had with Israel. They were erring in their hearts. They had an unbelieving heart, an evil heart, the Bible says, of unbelief. We find too often that in the ranks and files of many of the congregations today, there are evil hearts of unbelief that produce evil reports. The Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth is going to speak. That we're not able, that God is a God of the history books. That He's not the same God. I know we say the verse, but He's not the same yesterday, today, and forever. Behold an evil report quicker than we do the good report. And what God's trying to say to, to, to Joshua as he's about to enter into the great con conquest, he's saying that they might know, that the world might know, that the people might know that as I was with Moses, Joshua, that's exactly what I'll be with you. I haven't changed. I want you to know something, saint, this morning, that as God was with Moses, and as God was with Joshua, so He will be with you and I. Because He never changes. We are quicker to believe what we hear on YouTube or on the BBC, rather than we're quicker to believe the Word of God. I heard this statement, I don't know what they are, but I keep hearing them, these people that are called influencers. I haven't a clue what they are, so I had to check it out. But these are influencers, they're social influencers. They're influencing people by their thoughts, by, by their opinions, by their political agendas, by what you should buy, what you should wear, where you should go. I thank God we're not influenced by anything else but the Holy Ghost. We need to be influenced by God's Word, not what the world are saying. What's God saying? And so we need to know what the Bible says. You know, we often quote the verse, if you turn over to it, in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, I know it's a favorite of many. And the Bible says in Romans 8, 28, that we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. And friends, when the church aligns itself to the purposes of God, when we align ourselves, when we come into line with what God's saying, that requires of us a death or a denial of self. Jesus said, if you want to be my follower, you've got to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. I know this is taken out of the discipleship programs of the modern age, but it's what God says. If you want to be a disciple of the Lord, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Then you can say that we know that all things work together for good to them that are the called of God and are called to the purposes of God. If you go down then a few verses, this is when we can say it. In Romans 8.31, what shall we say to all these things? If God's before us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So since we must align ourselves to God's purpose by a death or a denying of ourselves to take up our cross, and then, friends, no matter what's ahead of us, we can truly say, if God's for us, who can be against us? When we align ourselves to His purpose, God's speaking into the heart of Joshua. I believe He wants to speak into our hearts this morning. Joshua's going into Canaan. It's known as the Great Conquest. And it was to bring into the heart of Joshua an assurance. That is a wonderful word. It's a biblical word. But I know that there are many that struggles at times with assurance. It's something that you hear and maybe some might feel a little bit embarrassed or sometimes feel a little bit shy or don't want to reveal their heart and say things because they think everyone around them are super spiritual and they're away up there and I'm away down here. And there's a battle in some hearts concerning assurance. Well, God was speaking to Joshua to put an assurance into his heart. Because in the heart, 
In the mind, in the heart, the mind has like that window into the heart. In that heart, it is susceptible to doubt and fear and unbelief. Like every man would struggle at different times with doubt or fear, would come, the enemy would come with doubt or fear. And so what God is attempting to do with, with Joshua, with Moses, putting into Joshua is an assurance in his heart. He's saying, Joshua, as I was with Moses, don't look to Moses, but look to me. As I was with Moses, I'm going to be exactly the same with you. I am the one that done it all with Moses, but God is no respecter of persons. I'll do exactly that with you. And the assurance that comes into the heart of a believer or a young believer that's battling with battling with assurance, it comes by the power of the Holy Ghost. God said, I will not fail in my purpose in your life as you walk according to my way. Paul talked about assurance. If you turn over into 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, and we actually sung the scripture this morning. David led us in this scripture. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 12. What Paul is saying to the young Timothy in the battle that he's in, he's saying, 2 Timothy 1 and 12, For I know whom I believe. This is a man that's persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Paul had an assurance. It's a blessed assurance that Jesus is mine. It's put there not by man. It's put there by the Holy Ghost. That God wants you to know that whatever this year is going to hold, whatever happens in our homes and our families, whatever happens, and things will happen. Giants will come. There will be Jerichos. There will be storms. There will be all the different enemies of God. There will be things that are happening in our very eyes. Fear will fall upon the people of this earth. They will tremble at the things that they're seeing. But God's not give us the spirit of fear, but a part of love and of a sound mind. And He wants an assurance in our hearts. Assurance is vital for the warfare that we're entering into. There are much and many winds of doctrines and doubts and fears, but the Holy Ghost wants to put in the heart of the church an assurance. And people battle with insurance. I want, I want you to hear me this morning. As you look into this year, God wants to put into your heart an assurance by the Holy Ghost. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 4. Again, we see here that it's Put there by the Holy Ghost. 1 Thessalonians 1 and 4. It says these words, Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God, for our gospel came, verse 5, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much, what does it say? Assurance. The gospel came in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much, much assurance. Now God puts that there by the Holy Ghost. It's not something that is created of man. It's God, the Holy Spirit, puts an assurance in your heart by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. Look over into Hebrews chapter 10. This is what it says there of assurance. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. Read the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by God's Word. So if you're battling with assurance as a younger believer, or even you've been on the road for some time, but it's always been one area of your life that you've battled with. Some believers battle with this. But we need the Holy Ghost to put in that heart an assurance for the days ahead. Hebrews 10 and 19, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus by a new and a living way which He had consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, His flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, verse 22 says these words, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience 
our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. So God wants to put an assurance, a full assurance of faith in the hearts of His people. That simply means, in the Greek, it simply means an entire confidence in God. God wants you to go into this year with an entire confidence in Him, with a blessed assurance put there by the Holy Ghost. He's encouraging Joshua. He's speaking to Joshua. Don't stagger. Don't fall. Don't look around. But trust me, I am the God of Moses and I am your God. I will not fail you. He begins to put into his heart the Word of God. So important, saints, that we're not putting into our hearts the things of the world. Whether those influencers or whatever they are, or whatever anyone says, we must put into our hearts God's Word that we may not sin against Him in unbelief. And so what God is saying to Joshua is, before you enter into this great conquest, I have to eliminate out of your heart that unbelief, that unbelieving heart, that evil report. It's not so much what we say in the confines of a church building, but it is what we say, and often what we say to ourselves beyond these four walls. The words that we speak, the things that we say, what we talk to each other about, are we putting the Word in the hearts? Are we putting our Word in the hearts? Are we listening to the to all the scenarios that are around us that are being played out in this world? If we do, fear will come. Doubt will come. We'll lose our assurance. We're grounded in God's Word. We'll walk this road in victory with a song in our hearts. We have an assurance put there by the blessed Holy Spirit. So what God is putting into the heart of Joshua for the conquest is His Word. He must eliminate that unbelief from our hearts. In this war that we're in, there has to be an elimination of unbelief. In Numbers chapter 32, we see what the purpose of the wilderness was. Why was there a wilderness that Israel wandered through for 40 years? But in Numbers 32 and 13, the Bible tells us exactly the purpose of the wilderness. It says that the Lord's anger, Numbers 32 and 13, was kindled against Israel and He made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was consumed. God wanted to remove from Israel that unbelieving heart, that evil report that was amongst them. And you know, friends, that's what God wants to eliminate from us. It's not that He kills us, but He wants our flesh to be crucified. That's the crucifying of our flesh. It's our flesh that opposes the spiritual man. And so God is dealing with them that, Wilderness is just a type or or an example of that death of that flesh. God wants us to crucify the flesh and put the Word of God in our hearts. So he begins to speak to Joshua. Deuteronomy 31 and 7. He says, be strong, Joshua. Be of good courage. He says in verse 8, And the Lord, He it is that doth go before thee. He will be with thee. He will not fail thee. He will not forsake thee. Fear not neither be thou dismayed. What's he doing? We remember in those first five books of the Torah, that fifth, that book of Deuteronomy is about the last few months of Israel before they pass over that Jordan and go to the other side. And in that last few weeks, God now starting to speak into Joshua's heart. Moses is not going in, but Joshua is. And he's starting to put his word into his heart. What does he say to him? Be strong and of good courage. He's He is the one that's going before thee. He will be with thee. He won't fail you. He will be with you. Do not forsake you or fear not, neither be thou dismayed. In Deuteronomy 31 and 23, he gave Joshua the son of Nun a charge. And he said, Joshua, be strong and of good courage, for thou shalt bring the children of Israel into the land which I swear unto them. And I will be, what does he say? I will be with thee. God's promise in Joshua, you'll be with thee as I was, so I will also be. 
Joshua chapter 1 and verse 9, if you turn over Joshua 1 and verse 9, he says these words, Have not I commanded thee as a question? Be strong, Joshua, and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Friends, it's so important in the times in which we're living in that we know that God is with us and He will not leave us, nor will He forsake us. He does not want us to be afraid. One of the manifestations that has come to the fore in these last couple of years is the amount of believers that are living in fear. God does not want His church to live in fear. My God, friends, we are the church of the living God. We are the light that is set upon that hill. We are the salt of the earth. God does not want His people living in fear, but He wants us to live in faith in Him. There's an assurance that God wants to boot into the hearts of His church. And when He boots that in, friends, it's not depending on us, it's depending on Him. So important that we thought it was depend, if I thought it was depending on me, we're finished. If I thought it was depending on you just to put you in the same bracket, sorry if you're offended, but I'm finished. But I thank God this morning we're depending on Him. And He's the author and the finisher of this faith. And so He says in His Word, somebody prayed it this morning again. Lamentations 3 and 21, we know this verse as well. This I recall to my mind. Therefore have I hope and it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. His compassions, they never fail. They are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. We serve a faithful God. What He's saying to Joshua is, Joshua, I am faithful. What I was with Moses, I'm going to be exactly what I was with him with you. I want to tell you, friends, this morning, He's not just the God of the history, but He's the God of the present. What He was with them, that's also exactly what He's going to be with you and I. Joshua is going to face many trials. Now this morning I want to tell you something for the year 2022. If the Lord tarries, you're going to face trials. Sorry if you were expecting something different. You're expecting a lighter note, but I'm telling you, you're going to face trials. You're going to come up against the children of Anak, the giants. You're going to come up against the Jerichos and the armies that are opposed to this great God. But I want to tell you something, friends. As God was with Moses and as He was with Joshua, praise God, that's exactly what He's going to be with you and I. He's a faithful God. He has never failed. Would someone tell me in this room that knows God and has walked with God, has He ever failed you? Has He ever failed you? Because He's faithful and He will not fail His church in the days in which we're living. As He was, so He will be. The God of the upper room 2,000 years ago is the God that's in this room this morning. The God that raised the sick and raised the dead that walked those shores of Galilee. Jesus Christ is here this morning by the power of His Spirit. He hasn't changed. Intellectuals have tried to change Him and bring Him down into a piece of paper and a statement of faith, but He's bigger than that A4 piece of paper. He's Almighty God. He hasn't changed. Joshua's going to face unprecedented opposition, and so are we. The church of Jesus Christ, especially in this part of the world. I want you to hear me, friend, this morning because I believe there's such a mighty work of God that's taken place in these nations. People may not see that or think that. They see the calamity and the collapse of society and all of men and what they're trying to do to fix it and shore it up. But I want to tell you this morning, friends, of a truth that there is there is a work of God in the midst of these last few years particularly. A mighty work of God amongst the church and in the nation. The nations are being shaken by the power of God. And the church of Jesus Christ is being sifted by the work of the Holy Ghost. There is a sifting that has taken place in amongst the church of Jesus Christ. There is unprecedented opposition that's rising up against the church. 
Can I tell you something this morning? That God will build His church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The day He said those words are as real today as they were 2,000 years ago. Can I hear an amen? That He will build His church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against them. But there is a work of God being done as the unprecedented opposition is rising, especially in these nations. You know, there are many. You know, I read a, a book of Brother Carla gave me. the so blessed to read through just what others have had to pay the price in the years gone by. It's been a long time since someone on these parts of the world have had to shed their blood for the gospel. It's been hundreds of years. I know in other parts of the world, the people have gone from here and shed their blood as missionaries in other parts of the world. But we have lived as a nation blessed with the gospel for hundreds of years now. But going back into those days, there was one particular individual I read the story, just a wee chapter a night, just to remind us of the great privilege. But one, one morning, this man was arrested. He was, he was put in prison. He was to be hanged for his faith in Scotland. He was to be hanged for his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He was kept in prison for a number of months. And then on the morning that he was to be hanged, it says that he woke up in the morning and the other brethren that were in the cell with him, he turned around. This is the morning that they're going to hang him. And he turned around and he turned and he said these words, This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. They marched him down the road and up to that gallow. And there he was hung for his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. God, there's something wrong in the day in which we're living. We have so much. We're so blessed. We have so much. We're so wealthy. We're so blessed in every way. And yet we still complain. We still murmur. We still bicker. We still fight. And we've got everything. May God help us because there's an unprecedented opposition that's coming to the church of Jesus Christ in Ulster, in Ireland. I don't care what way you look at it, and I don't care much for the protocol either. There is an unprecedented opposition against the church, but that is the time that the church of Jesus Christ rises, the true church. Persecution will produce that remnant church at will. We are seeing the opposition, the coming. Can I tell you, friend, this morning that the fair-weather Christian, the days of fair-weather Christianity are over. You might have heard the old country song. Don't listen to it when you go home. Whatever you do, it's country. It'll make you depressed and sad and everything else. But it's called Farewell, My Fair-weather Friend. Anyone ever heard of it? No, that's good. That's the right answer. <laughs> the fair weather Christianity, fair weather means suitable for use in fair weather only. Not reliable, this is a definition, not reliable or present in situations of hardship or difficulty. Can I tell you, friends, fair weather Christianity is about to be found out, and it has been found out. Then there's foul-weather Christians only turn up when everything goes wrong. Just to tell you, I told you it was going to go wrong. And then they disappear. Isn't it wonderful to have a friend like Jesus? Isn't it wonderful to have a friend that sticks closer than a brother? Some people want to trip you up. But you know, every time you fall, he's there to pick you up again. Fair-weather Christianity is coming to an abrupt end. I'm not saying it still won't exist in some form. It will. But what God said to Joshua is this. Joshua, I am the same in every generation. I will not change, and I never change. Now I want you to trust me. This is known as something so wonderful in Scripture. It is so beautiful. And if it could just touch your heart this morning, it will give you an assurance 
that as we stand, some people stand in the midst of shipwreck this morning. All around them, it seems everything's breaking up, whether it's in your family, in your home, in your business. You're standing in the midst of that, and it seems as though it's shipwreck. There's something wonderful about God. You find it here in Hebrews chapter 6. It's known as the immutability of God. It's an amazing term, but it's so profound. And if God could put into our hearts this morning this revelation, the immutability of God, that simply means the unchangeability of God, that God never changes. We change. Churches change. Nations change. Everything's changing. But God never changes. He never changes. He'll be the same in the morning if the Lord spurs us or He doesn't come tonight. He'll be exactly the same in the morning. His mercies are new every morning. Great is the faithfulness of God. And if that could just drop into our spirits, that God never changes. As He was, so He will be. Friends, that's one thing that we should rejoice in. Governments change. Policies change. Politics change. Churches change rapidly. Some of it's unrecognizable even as a church now. What does a church look like? There are people that love Jesus and love each other. And what's central of that is the cross of Jesus Christ. And what's central in our songs is Jesus and His blood and His coming again. What's central is the preaching of His Word and prayer and fellowship. But most of it's unrecognizable. But Jesus never changes. It says in Hebrews 6 and 17, We're in God, willing more abundantly to show the heirs of the promise. Can I ask you a question this morning? Who are the heirs of the promise? Anybody know who the heirs of the promise are? Praise the Lord, it's us. Galatians 3 and 29 says, If you be Christ, then you are Abram's seed and heirs. Praise the Lord, according to the promise. We are the heirs of the promise. God willing more abundantly to show, more abundantly to show unto the heirs of the promise the immutability of His counsel. That God would reveal to us the unchangeability of His counsel into our hearts. And confirm it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie. God cannot lie. Isn't that amazing? In a world that's filled with lies, mistruths on all the terms, I don't even mention them this morning, but God never lies. His word is true. We have, we might have a strong consolation. We have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into within the veil, whether the forerunner is for us entered even Jesus, and made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He never changes. His word is true and he never lies. Jesus said these words in Matthew 28. He said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye into all the world. Preach the gospel. Teach all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. That's His word. That's His promise. God wants us to trust in His faithfulness I'll close in just five minutes if you bear with me because there's an important part to all of this. God wants us to trust in His faithfulness. No matter what comes or goes, we must know that He never changes. What He was is what He will be. He will be that to you and He will be that to me. We must trust His immutability and His counsel. Now what he was, that's what he's going to be. That's what we can trust. After Joshua and the children of Israel passed over the Jordan, just like Moses and the children of Israel passed over the Red Sea, they passed over, they passed over. The mighty miracles and signs of God in Egypt were the mighty miracles and demonstrations that God was going to do in Canaan. But as they passed over, 
in across the river Jordan. And as they waited to go forward under the instructions of the Lord, something very significant happened to Israel. And I believe this is so important for some, some in this meeting this morning. This is a really important point. To trust God, to move forward in God, to go into a deeper place with the Lord. This was critical for the conquest. In Joshua chapter 5, if you turn to it, just to read it for a moment. Joshua chapter 5, this was crucial for the conquest. This was crucial to go on in God. Joshua 5 and verse 1. It says these words came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites which were on the side of the Jordan westward and all of the kings of the Canaanites which were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we were passed over that the enemy's heart melted neither was there spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel. That's such a profound reality. I tell you whose hearts are melting. It's not the church of Jesus Christ. It's the world. Man's hearts, the Bible says, will feel them because of fear. There's a world that are filled with fear. They need to hear the gospel. They need to hear about Jesus. And like Israel, like Joshua entering in verse 2, it says, at that time, the Lord said unto Joshua, I want you to listen carefully. This is important. If you want to go deeper with the Lord, you want to enter into what He has for you, this is important. At that time, the Lord said unto Joshua, make these sharp knives, circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. And Joshua made him sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. And then it says, and this is the cause why Joshua did circumcise, that all the people that came out of Egypt, that were males, even all the men of war, had died in the wilderness by the way after they came out of Egypt. Now all the people that came out were circumcised, but all the people that were born in the wilderness by the way as they came forth out of Egypt them they had not circumcised. These were the ones, the ones that were born in the wilderness were to be circumcised. You remember Genesis 17. This was the covenant that God had given to Abraham and his people, the Jews. This is the covenant that I'll keep between you and I. Every child among you, even to this day, it's the same. You shall... You shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin and it shall be a token of the covenant between you and I. That was an outward sign that they belonged to God of the covenant that God had made with them. So when they were coming out of Egypt, all those men were circumcised, but when they entered into the wilderness, they, on, they were unbelievers. They erred in their hearts. And now there's a whole generation that was born in a wilderness that had not been circumcised. A whole generation that had come up, that God had raised up, that they were going to enter into everything that God had for them. But before they entered in, there was a reminder, this is the covenant that I've made with you. Take all of that generation, and I want you to circumcise them, Joshua, because we're going in. Remember, this is the word of the Lord. As I was, so I will be. But there was a responsibility upon them to obey God's Word. And let me make it very clear. The Bible tells us in Galatians 5 and verse 6, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. In other words, this morning, the outward circumcision avails to nothing in Jesus Christ. Nothing. It means nothing in Christ in the new covenant. However, there is a circumcision in the new covenant. And that's a circumcision of the heart. You see, friends, what the big difficulty today is, is that the ground, the very ground in which the gospel is preached, in which the, the, the truth is preached, most of the ground is very hard. Most of it is not receptive to the Word of God. Most of it 
Even in a meeting like this, most of it is not received. Most of it falls by the wayside. Most of it is heard but is not applied. Most of it goes through the motions of a service and maybe be emotionally moved but not transformed by the power of God's Word. And so life just goes back to normal on a Monday morning. We've heard the message. We've heard the preaching. It's not the preacher. It's the Word of God that's preached. The truth of God's Word is preached. But it has no effect then on the people or the hearers the following day. Actually, by the end of the day, we can't remember what was preached in the morning. It has actually had no effect. This is not unique to here. This is what's happening across the Western nation. There is a hardness that has come in. There is an erring in our hearts. There is evil hearts that bring evil reports. We hear it. We hear it one day, but the next day, our lives and our conversation hasn't changed. We're still talking the same death. We're still sitting down for coffees, talking the same rubbish. And then we come back in and we're, we're in a wilderness. Listen, you might have been born in a wilderness, but you don't have to live in one. And so we have to rise up out of the place of talking death over ourselves. It is so true that there is so much flesh. I know it's old-fashioned. I know it's out of date in many respects by so many. But we got to move away from talking ourselves into death. There is a circumcision for us in warfare. We're talking about warfare. We're talking about going forward in God. We're talking about souls being saved, the church being revived, people being strengthened and going to a deeper place with God. We're talking about people getting filled with the Holy Ghost. We're talking about the calling of God in lives, people going to the mission field, people living for God and victory in this day. That's what we're talking about. But the problem, the great problem is, Joshua, before you enter in here, I want to remind you of my covenant. But these men that are going to believe me and trust me, there has to be a circumcision. That's a token of my promise. They've been born in a wilderness. All the other men of war that didn't believe God, they died there. There was an elimination of the flesh and the unbelief. That's what God wants to eliminate from our rank and file. But to go in, he says there has to be a circumcision. A circumcision not of the flesh and the outward, but of a circumcision of the heart. There has to be something cut out of us. I know, friends, that we don't like the knife going in, but who does? There has to be the surgeon's hand that goes in, and there has to be a cutting out of things that are in our life. Roots. Roots that are deep down embedded within us, but I want to tell you, God's able to do it. To cut back the flesh to cut away the things in our lives that have hindered us, that hold us down, that bring on unbelief. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9, it says these words, For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. We are complete in Him, who is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised, with the circumcision made without hands, there's a work of God. That's without the hands of man. It's a work of the Holy Ghost. And booting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Jesus Christ. Buried with Him in baptism. We're also we're risen with Him through the faith. The faith of the operation of God who has raised Him from the dead and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath He quickened together having forgiven you all trespasses. Isn't God amazing? Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that is against us which was contrary to us and took it out of the way nailed it all to the cross and having spoiled principalities and powers he made a show of them, openly triumphing over them in it. There's a circumcision. There's a circumcision that's done by the Holy Ghost. 
There's a cutting away. Friends, I want to tell you there's a lot of people say to me, talk to me, desire to move into a deeper place with God. Not so encouraging. That's God's desire. But what we must understand to go into a deeper place with God, there has to be a cutting away. There has to be a death. There has to be a denial of self. There has to be a cutting back. You know, that flesh, that rotten flesh that all of us have, it's all the same in every one of our lives. It's the flesh, but it's enmity with God, that carnal mind that's against the Spirit of God working. It's against the Spirit of God moving in your life. And the only answer for the flesh is the cross. It's to put the flesh on the cross to die to ourselves. If we truly want to walk and see a great warfare done for the Lord in the days in which we're living, I believe we all do, then there has to be a death of some things. Some of us have been carrying things in our lives for years. Years. It's not God's purpose that you live in that place of defeat. God wants us to live in the place of victory. He wants to cut it out. Have you ever heard the term, just cut that out? Have you ever said that to your kids? I've said it, that's one of our free. Cut it out. When they're bickering, if it, maybe it came from Scripture, I don't know. Just cut it out. We need to cut some things out, friends. We want to live. That's what Paul says when we often quote the verse in prayer. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, but the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. I tell you, we need in prayer to see some strongholds come down. How does that all happen? Does it happen by me just saying something? No. There has to be a cutting out of that which is the flesh. There has to be a circumcision. Joshua, as I was, so I will be. Now Joshua, everybody needs circumcised. And then we'll go in and the Jerichos are coming down. There has to be a dealing of that heart. It cannot be, friends, that the church is filled, and it is, sadly, in Ulster, it's filled with unforgiveness. It's a spillover from 40 years of brutal troubles. It's a spillover from the brutality and the bloodshed and everything that we've seen and the bitterness that sits in hearts and in the church itself. There has to be a repentance and a cutting away for God to come through a vessel to reach into this world to believe God. Why? Because He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His passion and His heart for lost souls is as fresh today. And if we cut back our hearts, I tell you what He'll put into your heart, not only an assurance, but a passion to see souls won for Him in this year. We need to cut some things out. We need to die. But we need to know that as He was, so He will be. Praise God for the year ahead. Let's pray together. Thank you this morning, Jesus. Lord, for your promise in your word that you never change. Thank you that you are faithful, Lord. Thank you that your compassion towards us, it does not change. Lord, we worship you this morning for the forgiveness of sins, for all that you've done in each of our lives. But Lord, give us the grace Give us the, the help that we need, Lord, to deal with the things that would so hinder us. Lord, that we would go into everything that you have for us. Lord, I pray there be a death this morning. Lord, individually there be a death, oh God, to self and a circumcision of the flesh, a cutting back, Lord, that our hearts would hear, that we'd have vision to see for the days in which we're living and going forward. Lord, we praise you this morning for who you are, that you never change, that you never change. You're the unchangeable God. And Lord, we put our trust in you this morning. Lord, would you give help to those in this meeting? Would you put the blessed assurance deep in their soul?
Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would raise up this morning a faith in our hearts to believe you, Lord, in the midst of a world that's shipwrecked. Lord, that we have a hope. We have a hope in this world and a hope that we want to share with the people around us. So, Lord, this morning, bless your people. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.